0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. My guest today is David Sedaris, the author of the new collection, the Best of Me. It's a book that contains his best works. David, as chosen by you.
1: Yes, I chose it.
0: So this begs the question, what criteria did you use to determine what was your best?
1: Well, I decided to weed out the things that I hated, and <laughs> start. I mean, whenever I, I I liked them at the time, you know, I mm-hmm. liked all those things at the time that I wrote them, and at the time that they appeared in in books. But you know, I mean, I suppose you know, there would always come the time to go on the book tour, mm-hmm. and then I would go on the book tour, and I would think, well, why did I put that in there for? <laughs> why did I put that in there for? So I just kind of got rid of all of those things. And I think I left the stories that I had always looked forward to reading out loud
0: Mm. when I would
1: go on tour. I mean, when I go on tour, I'd never read anything old. But when those stories were new, for about a year, I thought, great, I get to read that tonight.
0: (laughs) And did anyone else get a say in what your best is? Your agents, editors, loved ones?
1: No. I mean, some (laughs) people said, some people said, oh, what do you mean you're not putting that in? Right. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm not, put- <laughs> I'm not putting that in. I, I suppose because sometimes people like things, you know, if you, let's say if I go on tour, I'll go on tour and then, you know, you read for an hour and 10 minutes in a the theater. And then there's always that person who says, uh, read Santa Land Diaries. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's May, and <laughs> that takes an hour to read. I would never. I don't think I've read that thing in, oh, I don't know. Maybe I had to read it 15 years ago for something. But, uh, I mean, that, that. you know, I understand that that was how a lot of people came to know me. But it's what it claims to be. It was my diary from when I worked at Macy's in 1990 and 1991. And it was before I had uh, a computer.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, you know, now that I have a computer, when I write in my diary, I think, oh, that's two sentences in a row that start with the word he. So, you know, (laughs) just sitting right there, I can clean it up. But the writing in that and was so clunky to me, you know, that Santa land thing. And, and just the early stuff, I just see somebody trying so desperately to be funny. It's just embarrassing to me. So I put, um, I, I think I put one story from Naked in there. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I would sign that book, I would think, that's nice that someone bought it. But when I thought about them reading it, I would, <laughs> just, I would just be over, overcome with remorse.
0: I love that the Christmas elf story is kind of like your fans play
1: Freebird. <laughs> like it's uh... yeah, and I just don't play Freebird. <laughs> I, I just don't get it, and I think that's interesting too. When I don't know, it's like if somebody says, "Oh, I you know I really like that thing that you wrote thirty years ago." It's like, gosh, can't you see the difference between what I write? what I wrote last year and what I wrote 30 years ago. And then a lot of people can't, you know, they can't see the difference. Um, But, you know, they're looking at the story. They're not looking at, you know, maybe the words that make up the story or they're not noticing that, that a sentence has rhythm or doesn't have rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, they're in it for the, you know, for the story, I guess.
0: Yeah, I I mean, and so for you collecting these stories and essays together um, over a decades long time period, what have you noticed change in in the way you tell stories?
1: Uh, Well, I think I'm, because I started going on tour in like the late 90s, I have a lecture agent, so (laughs) he would set up these tours for me. So every fall I go to 40 cities and every spring I go to 40 cities. So I read something out loud and go back to the room and rewrite it and read it and rewrite it and read it and rewrite it. (laughs) And I think as time passed, I, I thought, okay, I know I could get a laugh there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What happened? What would happen if I went without it? And, and I think that was it just confident. You know, at the beginning, I wasn't confident that anybody would be listening unless they were laughing, unless I heard them laughing, then I didn't think they were listening. And then as time passed, I thought, Oh no, I can feel people listening. Mm. So you don't have to, you don't have to like elbow them in the ribs, (laughs) you know, uh, at the end of every paragraph, you know? So I think it was just, you know, learning to, I think, trust myself a Mm -hmm. little bit more.
0: Hi, it's Maris, and I'm so happy to let you know that Mindy Kaling has a new essay collection called Nothing Like I Imagined. The best-selling actress, author, and comedian works overtime to describe with her typical charm and insight her latest life chapter, balancing the demands of her evolving career with the demands of new motherhood. In these six hilarious short audio stories, she writes about how she juggles life as a new mom, an actress, and a Hollywood power bruncher. Written and narrated by Mindy, this is the perfect collection to listen to on the go. It's available in audio and ebook format, Prime members can listen and read it for free and you can download it today at amazon.com slash Mindy stories. That's amazon.com slash Mindy stories. In the intro to your book, it's very, it's rather brief, but something that stuck out to me, of course, is that you hear from people all the time that your family is dysfunctional and you
1: want to um,
0: correct them?
1: Well, I just think that's such a lazy word. <laughs> it's a word people like to use, right? Like you put the fun back in dysfunctional. It's, <laughs> it's a word like people. People like to use the word people too. Like, well, I tried getting through to you, but your people wouldn't let you. And it's like, I think people, do you know what I mean? They like using that word people. Yep. And they like using the word dysfunctional. But they're both so dated, you know. Both those terms and dysfunctional. I don't. I, I don't. You know, if your father is forcing you into sex, yeah, that's dysfunctional. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. <laughs> if he is yes. hoarding hoarding food under the sink in his bathroom, you know, that's just that's just eccentric. There's a difference between those things.
0: The line between. So, and,
1: and I think, yeah, I just think the word dysfunctional is wrongly used. It has its place, but it's, you know, more often than not, people are using it incorrectly.
0: Yeah, it seems like an arc in, in, in reading all of your essays together is your reckoning with your family in a way that's non- binary is that fair to say that it, it's it's not easily defined
1: well somebody sent me something that he wrote um recently and he'd said you know you're gonna love this story about my wacky crazy family <laughs> and i and i thought well no i'm not because she's <laughs> right. already you know, why are you saying that they're wacky and crazy? Like, why are you setting it up that way? Why don't you let me decide? It's just always a mistake to, you know, uh, to def- to describe people that way before you've even gotten into the story. Just mm-hmm. tell the story and let the reader decide. But you're really not doing yourself any favors by saying things like that. Or, well, you know, I get a lot of manuscripts that people write you know, that they are hoping to get published or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry. And it's like, don't tell me what to <laughs> do. I mean, I know when you tell me I'm going to laugh and I'm going to cry that I'm going to do neither. Like, don't <laughs> tell me that in advance. Just let me. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess people just aren't doing themselves any favors when they do that. I feel like I'm sounding awfully crabby, but I don't <laughs> mean to.
0: Um,
1: I really don't. I,
0: I, I I appreciate that I, I reread the essay Leviathan that was in Calypso, and you and you write that happiness is just harder to put into words than all of the negative stuff,
1: and that feels- I think so. Well, it's harder to do and not come across as being sentimental or, mm-hmm. um, or. I don't know. I feel like so often joy is kind of a private thing. Yeah. Like sometimes somebody will t- I try to tell me like, you know, special in words that they might have with their husband or wife mm-hmm. and every couple has their in words. Yes. But it, it never translates.
0: Certainly doesn't.
1: So if you tell me like the in words that you have with the person you're with, mm, it's just I don't know. For some reason, it never, never works to to tell people that. It never, I don't know. And to me, that's like trying to trying to write about joy. It's like that. It okay. just seems. Uh, I mean, trying to write about pain is just much, 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 much easier.
0: Yeah, and it's it's. I think about. All of the music I listen to <laughs> and the books I read, they uh, they tend towards the sad.
1: And I've never understood when people say, oh, I don't want to watch that. I heard it's depressing. I'm first in line for something that's depressing. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing. If you're telling me it's going to bring me down for days, I'm there. <laughs> I like exuberance, you know, in in entertainment. Right. Um. I'm not against joy, you know. I'm not against happiness.
0: That's good.
1: I just did you see a movie called, um, oh gosh, darn it, it's a Swedish movie and it came out a couple of years ago and it's about a couple and they turn out to be trolls. No. They, they don't. They don't realize it. this woman. She's like really, really ugly, and she doesn't fit in. And and midway through the movie, she meets someone, and she realizes she's a troll, and that's why mm-hmm. she looks the way she is, and that's why she can, you know, has a heightened sense of smell. And sure. Anyway, she she finds a troll as a mate, and they're running naked through the forest, chasing each other. Yeah. And it it's the. It's exuberance. It, it is the best, I don't know what the word, capturement of exuberance I've ever seen in my life. I've, I've never seen joy on a screen like that. And it's two naked trolls chasing each other.
0: Well, I, that sounds incredible. And certainly I feel like everyone needs that kind of joy in their pandemic uh,
1: movie watching. So...
0: Or at least in their life, yes.
1: At least once in their life to have that. Gosh, it's awful to think about never having a moment like that. Mm -hmm. Hugh and I uh, in England, um, our next-door neighbor died, and Mm -hmm. we live out in the country. And so, when your neighbor dies, your first thought is, "Oh no, who's going to move in?" You know, I hope it's not people with dogs. You know, or people (laughs) who play loud music. Yep. And anyway, we Mm -hmm. got the. Best, the best people moved into Thelma's house. Thelma was Aww. 87 when she died. And this couple moved in and they're in their 40s and they have no children and they don't have any plans on having children and they love nature and they get excited and they're having a pond to put in their backyard Ooh. and they put a nature cam in their backyard. And so when I see them, they'll say, oh, we saw three hedgehogs last night and, and a deer. Um, and so I was saying to Hugh, we need to start running naked to their backyard. <laughs> Can you imagine, and then would on look video. at the film on their nature cam and think, who are these people? <laughs> Why are they doing this?
0: And and I do feel like people like me who have been reading and listening to your stories for so many years, we feel like we know you and Hugh. Or some, at least, a version that you've presented to us. Um, what's our biggest misconception, do you think?
1: Oh, well, um, hmm, he was pretty moody. You know? <laughs> He's the kind of person. He can be in the kitchen and you can leave and come back in an hour and there's a whole other person there in the kitchen waiting for Mm. you when you come back. Mm -hmm. And you never know what to expect, never know what to expect. So sometimes it's like a sunny day, you know? Yes. And sometimes it's just a cloudy day. But I, you know, it's always a trade-off. He's a really good cook. (laughs) Yeah. And he's really thoughtful. Like yesterday, he said it was his day off. I don't know where he gets that from. Nobody gets a day off, right? I never have a day off, but it was a day off and he was going to go out to dinner with a friend of his, but then I invited somebody over for lunch. And so he made us all lunch and then he came back from dinner and then made my dinner because I had bought things to make my own dinner and he made it for me, grumbling the whole time that it was supposed to be his day off. So I didn't ask him to make my dinner. He just did it. (laughs) But I really uh, appreciate it. And but he's got really good taste. He was I mean, I think everybody thinks that they have good taste. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe some people are just like, I've got awful taste and I'm proud of it. But, I mean, he can put a room together. Hmm. You know? It's the kind of thing you hate being gay and then... Like, I'm the gay guy who just says, well, just push it against a wall. Right? <laughs> but Hugh... It's the kind of a gay guy who can decorate a room. That's uh, important. Yeah, it really is. I I
0: trust then that you'll take this next question in the spirit it's intended, uh, talking about taste. What are you wearing right now?
1: Right now, I'm wearing a pair of horizontally striped Japanese pants Mm. that Jiminy Cricket would wear.
0: Amazing. And they're
1: high-waisted, high-waisted Japanese pants with a horizontal stripe. And then I have a horizontal striped t-shirt on. Ooh. And then over that, I have like a paisley shirt.
0: Amazing. So you're and like... I, but I
1: just came back. I brought a bunch of clothes to the tailor to have, uh, have shortened and stuff. That's no excuse. <laughs> to, you know. I mean, what it really needs, a jacket could tie all this together, (laughs) but it's a little bit warm. Tonight, I'll wear a jacket, but it's a little bit warm for one right now. Sure. I mean, has your... If I saw somebody wearing this, I would go up to them and I would say, excuse me, I would say, you look pretty great, but I was, (laughs) I just, I went out and I went to the tailor and then I went to Central Park, but I stopped for a bag of popcorn. And there was a guy, and he was older than me, so I'm 63, and I bet mm. this guy was 70. And he had a pair of skinny jeans on, and he had on like a long sleeve T-shirt that was kind of tight-fitting. And that's what you don't want right there, because you can't wear those clothes when you're 70. You just can't. You shouldn't even want to. It was like he's wearing his grandson's clothes,
0: Aww. you know?
1: And then he had his hair dyed, that kind of... Uh, you know, that kind of, it's mushroom colored, you know, like they don't want to don't wanna <laughs> dye it brown and they don't want to dye it black. And so it's just kind of mushroom colored. And it's uh, anyway, I thought, well, at least I'm not dressed like him. I said to myself,
0: There you go. How, I mean, and do you feel like your style or has changed at all since the pandemic began? I, I asked this question because I only wear soft clothes now. <laughs> so I, I want to hear about your your fashion.
1: Well, I have a lot of clothes. I went to Japan in mm-hmm. January and I bought a lot of stuff that I thought I would wear on tour. And then of course my right. tours got canceled. So I wear them to my desk. You know? <laughs> I get dressed up and I lay in bed when I wake up and I lay in bed and I really think about what I'm going to wear to my desk. And I put a lot of thought into it. I've never would go to my desk, just like blindly reach inside my closet. Like you might not appreciate it, but it's thought out to me anyway. And then I think I better change my clothes for lunch. (laughs) I change my clothes for lunch and then I'm going to go out. I change my clothes and I go out after midnight every night for a walk and I change my clothes because I have got all this stuff to wear on tour and whatnot. And I already had a fair amount of stuff. So I thought, well, wear it. Because I always feel like he wears the same thing every day. And he's got all these nice clothes and he never wears them. And he says, I don't have anywhere to wear them. And it's like, wear them when you practice piano.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that your book tours are usually such huge events. And tell me about, I guess, promoting getting ready to promote a book during
1: a pandemic? Well, you know, the thing is, a book comes out Election Day.
0: Yes, you know? I and do I, know that. And
1: I didn't complain about it. I didn't complain about it because somebody's book has to come out on Election Day, and I don't really <laughs> consider this a book, like the way I would a new book. You know, I mean, it's, it's all stuff that's already appeared. So right. if anyone's book is going to come out on Election Day, go <laughs> ahead. I'll... <laughs> Because I would, you would, it would, it would, it would suck to be a new author and your first book's coming out yes. and it's coming out on election day, you know. But I have 10 books already, so it, I, that's fine. My book can come on election day. Um, I'm just doing, you know, there aren't any events in store events anymore, I mean, right now. And that's OK. Again, if it was a brand new book, I'd be like, oh, what, do you, what do you mean? I can't go on tour, but <laughs> it fits this moment. You know, the book fits this moment. So if all I do are interviews, that's, that's, that's OK, you know. But the thing is, because the book is called The Best of Me, mm-hmm. I realized that you can add to the word "me" when you're signing the book. Right. So it could be the best of meningitis the best of Amazing. mexican food the best of mediocrity the best of uh you know you could put an s in front of the me and it could be best of smear campaigns <laughs> it could be the the uh the best of meager offerings the best of meningitis uh Amazing. anyway i realized that because i signed uh book for somebody yesterday it was the first time I'd signed a book for somebody and I thought oh I can do that so that's something I can do way into the future you know every time I sign that book I can I mean I can't make it different every well yeah I could make it different every time (laughs) because I could say the best of men and then I could change it and I could say the best of men begging or the best of men in comas or the best of men uh with weak chins <laughs> I <mean, not> <laughs> possibilities are endless, i suppose
0: yeah, but
1: you know what's and I hate to say this i mean i, I never you know when you how old are you
0: i'm forty two
1: okay, you're a child
0: <laughs> I'll take it but when you
1: get to be like sixty. When you get to be 60, right? There's a difference between 60 and 61 and between 61 and 62. Mm -hmm. And the difference between 62 and 63 is that I can't sit down the way I used to. Like the most I ever, the longest book signing I ever had was 10 and a half hours. And then I had a bunch that were 10 hours and 15 minutes, right? I don't think I could do that anymore. I mean, I don't think I could sit down for 10 hours anymore. Um, and on my last book tour, I would sit down and then I would have to stand up for a while. And then I would sit down and stand up for a while. But um, but see, the thing is, too, when you sign books for 10 and a half hours, people are only going to do that once. You know, sure. They're not going to say, let's go stand in line for 10 and a half hours again. So... You know, you get your ten and a half, and then you go back to that town for the next book, and then it's like (laughs) eight, and then you go back, and it's six, and then you think, oh, nobody cares about me anymore. But, no, they just don't want to stand in line. They think it's going to take ten and a half hours again, and it's not, you know,
0: I mean, this is so, (laughs) for a book that comes out on election day, speculating about length of lines is... uh... (laughs) feels really real. (laughs) Um, Because, David, this episode is going to air, I I believe, the Thursday after the election day. So two days after the election. Is there anything you want to say to all of
1: us in the future, right now? Well, I am a resident of the United Kingdom. So... but I vote in the United States Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not a citizen there. And I didn't want to become a citizen there because Hugh can kind of tell you everything that's politically going on in England, but he doesn't know who Mitch McConnell is. No, he does know who Mitch McConnell is. He doesn't know who Lindsey Graham is maybe, or he doesn't know who um, like Claire McCaskill was on the radio and he didn't know who she was. Uh, But he can tell you everything about British politics, right? Mm -hmm. But I never, I'm just, but I stayed invested in the United States, right? So I can never stop caring about it and being caught up in it. And we used to vote absentee. And usually when you live overseas, you vote absentee from the last state you lived in. So we voted from New York state Mm. but then we got a beach house in north carolina and now we changed it so we vote in north carolina
0: that's great
1: and i don't trust anybody anymore so i'm going to north carolina to vote in person
0: that's that's we're going to go down
1: there and then i'm kind of looking forward to it because i voted absentee since 1998 so i'm kind of looking forward to um you know to seeing what it's like it's really conservative down there Right. And we were down there a few weeks ago and uh, you know, it's a lot of Trump flags and mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot of retired military and people who live in gated communities, you know? Yes. Um, yes. And and they have the beach house as their second house. Uh, and I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. And I think everybody should be. And, you know, I'm trying to turn people. So like I was in North Carolina a few weeks ago and I was with my sister at the grocery store and I said to the cashier, I said, are you registered to vote? She said, yeah, I'm registered and I'm going to vote. And then the girl bagging the groceries was registered, but she didn't think she was going to vote. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell, you know. So I said to Amy, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and I, because she said she didn't think she was going to vote, that to yeah. me is a pretty honest person. Because I would just tell someone I was going to vote even if I wasn't. But she told me yeah. she probably wasn't, so she's a pretty honest person. And so I said, "Is it against the law for me to give her fifty dollars to vote for Joe Biden?" And it turns out it is against the law. Dollars I mean, <laughs> to vote for Joe
0: Biden. <laughs> oh, but. But nice so my
1: older sister Lisa, my father's in a assisted living facility, right? Yeah. And Lisa said, "I talked to the people at Springmore, and and uh, so they're gonna uh, make sure that Dad can vote." I said, "You don't oh, want wow. Dad voting. Dad's <laughs> gonna vote for Trump. He's ninety-seven. <laughs> you know, we do not want him, but we want him to die before the election. <laughs> is what we want." Um, I can't believe she was facilitating that, but no, I mean, I just even when people say, "Well, I live in, uh, you know, California, so it does," I don't have to vote. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have to vote because because it's what it's it's what you're supposed to it's what you're supposed to do. You know, even if you, I I would. I hate someone who doesn't vote more than I hate someone who votes for Trump. Because at least the person who votes for Trump is doing their civic duty in voting. And I feel like so many people who don't vote, they act like, well, you know what? The vote doesn't really count. Like they act like, oh, they're so smart and they've they've figured something out that the rest of us don't know. And it's just the... You know what? It's just deciding to do nothing. You know, yeah. people who decide to do nothing, don't act smart because you're just lazy. That's all you are.
0: Yeah, I hope you feel
1: so lazy. So everyone's I'm got a vote. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, before we go, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. Would you recommend a book or two to our audience?
1: Sure. Um, well, there was a, a book that came out 10 years ago. I was just rereading. Is it 10 years ago? I think so. By Wells Tower called Everything Ravaged, Everything yes. Burned. And it's a collection of short stories. And I was just rereading that recently. There's like There's a short story in there about Vikings. Who would write a short story about Vikings? And it is so... Good. And I, I, I don't know, I'm keep waiting for another book by him. I don't know what he's been up to uh, and since the last book came out, but the stories are so, uh, oh gosh, they're just so sort of surprising. And the language in them is so, uh, so exact and that the language is surprising too. And just the mm. things that he's writing about is surprising and, I don't, I've never, he just popped up out of nowhere, this person. And uh, it's like he invented writing. <laughs> He's just such a, um, such a mystery to me. And the stories are just, again, they're just, I can just read them over and over and over again. And I guess, because I have to, because, um, you know, he doesn't, he, Put up. because he, he owes me another book. You know, and, and I hope I don't he know puts what he's out he's been a book. Doing, but I've...
0: And says it's to, it feels like he invented writing. Quote from David Sedaris. That would be amazing.
1: <laughs> um, let's see another book. Well, that's a kind of an old book too. So maybe I'll talk about a, a new book. Did you read the New Me by Hallie Butler?
0: Sure, did.
1: It's like a body it's like a, You know, not a. It's not a big book. No. You know, I mean, it's not a big fat book. And it was really funny. I thought it was really funny. And it's hard because the character is, like, I don't understand that character. I don't understand the main character, really. Yeah. Maybe I think if you're young, you understand her better. Like, I don't even understand it when people buy things online. I don't understand them. <laughs> then I think, well, I don't know who you are. Um, and, uh, and so I don't and I didn't know anything about the world because I've never had a real job before. So I didn't really I knew about I mean, I lived in Chicago, so I could relate to the character that way. Right. Um, the, all the office stuff was just a complete mystery to me. And so really entertaining to me. And, and I laughed out loud several times reading the book. Somebody recommended it to me, and so I picked it up, and I read it in a day. And I thought, wow, who is this person?
0: And it's really a skill, just like writing about happiness, writing about boredom in a way that's entertaining is is Mm -hmm. tough.
1: Yeah, she really did a good job at pulling that off. And also to write about complaining in an entertaining way. (laughs) Yes
0: cuz otherwise we just go to twitter.com and i know that's not something you'd like to do. <laughs> um
1: and then uh, Blake Bailey the splendid things we planned. Did you read that? No. It's about his brother.
0: Mm. And
1: Blake Bailey is a biographer. Like he wrote about bi- a great biography of Richard Yates mm-hmm. and of John Cheever and he's Philip Roth's official biographer.
0: Right.
1: But then he wrote this book about his brother um, who was troubled you know was an alcoholic and a drug addict and died and it's a book about his brother but in the context of his family hmm. and it's what a group that family is i Would mean i'm trying to wacky? give anything away but <laughs> no it's so far beyond that it's um it's uh, well, like his brother used to like go up on the roof and kind of have his ass hanging over the edge of the roof and then shit and make his brother watch the shit oh, coming yeah. out of him. I mean, that's
0: like, it's that's like,
1: tough. well, of course you wound up an alcoholic, drug addict. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> who does that?
0: Just guys on YouTube, but again, he
1: doesn't set it up. He never says like, "My family's crazy," or "My, you know, (laughs) look how wacky we are." Right? It's not presented that way at all, and I think that makes it all the more, uh, all the more shocking.
0: Absolutely. You know, when the
1: mothers behave here, and it takes place in, in uh, they live in Oklahoma City, Mm. and uh, gosh, it's just. Uh, I think too because you know, I mean, I had a sister who was kind of troubled, and so mm-hmm. that made me. Uh, I wanted to see how he, Blake Bailey wrote about right. somebody like that, you know, in his family, because what happens, you know, often when somebody, you know, when you've got somebody like that in your family, um. You know and then they die. People, you know, they. It's hard to celebrate that person. You know, you can't right. always celebrate that person. Right. But then the person's not alive anymore, and so you don't want to shit all over them. You know. But there's some balance that he does a really good job. It's striking a balance there. Oh,
0: that's lovely. David, thank you so much. Um, If there's one thing you do on Election Day, please vote. But if you do two things, The Best of Me by David Sedaris out on Election Day.
1: Oh, thanks a lot. Thank you.
0: It's been a pleasure. Bye,
1: Maris. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.